This podcast is part of the Telerik Developer Network. Telerik by Progress. Code, the official Telerik podcast. I'm your host, Ed Charbonneau, and with me today is my returning co-host, Brian Rinaldi. How you doing, Brian? I'm good, Ed. It's good to be back. Um, now in sunny Florida, rather than, well, sort of sunny Boston, at least for the moment. <laughs> yeah, so uh, you've been gone for a couple shows, and right. I haven't really said why. I wasn't sure if you wanted to share the information or not, so... I guess you let the cat out of the bag. You have moved from Boston to Florida. Correct. Yep. And uh, as anybody who's moved cross country knows, it is not easy. So, yeah, that's why I couldn't join you the past couple episodes. Yeah, moving is a pain. I uh, definitely feel for you. The last time I had to do it was about 10 years ago, and I, I don't ever want to do it again. So, my yeah. hats yeah. off to you. We hadn't moved in 12 years, um, and it's it's kind of like, you know, having kids where it, time makes you forget how awful it was. <laughs> and not that having kids is awful, but the whole, you know, process of, you know, not sleeping and so on. And then you forget. You're like, oh, they were so cute. I, and I don't remember that I didn't sleep, and I walked around like a zombie for three months. Yeah, we uh, or I've said a couple times that um, your your memory is as good as the age gap between your children. Yep. So all of our kids are five years apart. So there you go. That's about my, my memory is good for five years, and then it's pretty much kaput. <laughs> uh, and they're actually our last two are three years apart, so you can see that, that my my memory's going worse as I get older. As you get older, yeah. There you go. <laughs> so there's a lot of truth to that. So this is another Telerik Developer Digest episode where we kind of read through or review through some articles that uh, we post in the Telerik Developer Digest newsletter that you put out every week or every other week, Brian. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've got some really good ones this week, and we could not possibly go without mentioning Pokemon Go. So right. we have a discussion uh, Slack discussion of will Pokemon Go change the mobile landscape? And uh, first of all, let's let's talk about what a Slack discussion is. Like, what is this new thing that we've been kind of testing the waters with? So we stole this from a site called Five Thirty Eight. Um, they held every once in a while with their editors and contributors. They hold these Slack chats um, where they just basically hop on Slack, pick some top a topic they want to talk about. In their case, it's often the election. Um, and then they, you know, just kind of one person somewhat moderates asking questions and just lets discussion go. Um, it's a nice way to kind of get multiple viewpoints in a single article. I, and it's it can be fun to read, um, a little more light, light, a light read than, say, a big technical tutorial. Um, but I, I like it. It's it's a way to kind of quickly spin up something on a hot topic, um, which I guess Pokemon Go is. I've heard, so it's kind like, of, I've heard, it's, heard Pokemon Go is kind of popular, haven't you? Yeah. So this format's like one step above uh, the comments in a YouTube video. 
Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> I'm kidding. It depends uh, on who you invite. <laughs> so we've we've actually got quite a few Pokemon Go players in the DevRel organization. Uh, so our coworkers, quite a few of them are playing. I'm not playing myself. Um, Me neither. So maybe we're the worst or... people to talk about this topic. Yeah, maybe. Uh, <laughs> actually, I, I could comment quite a bit about the technology. I think the technology is really cool. Um but uh, first, let's touch on some of the big like wins and fails of this new thing. So we've got hordes and hordes of people out with their phones, right? Right. And they're looking through their camera in their phone because it's an augmented reality type of an app. So you can sure. see through your camera and your camera can see these um, Pokemon in the wild, like integrated with the surroundings around you. Uh, so there's there's been quite a few mishaps, as you might imagine. Um, yes, with an experience like this. So yeah, in fact, my my kids now say because they both play it, and they say that it's gone so far as that the company that uh, produces it for Nintendo, Niantic or something like that, uh, has basically now started adding these warnings that pop up every few minutes, like don't. Use Pokemon Go in unsafe areas. Don't drive while Pokemon Go. You know, um, they said it's use it's been so sense. so much so. Yeah, use common sense, right? But so much so that they said it's become kind of annoying to play because it pops up so often. Yeah. So this thing kind of also promotes you to go out and explore mm -hmm. and walk around, and I guess it uses like uh, data from mapping services and whatnot. Yes. to kind of like map out like it'll know if this is a park area or a grassy area right or versus like something that is a lake with water and that kind of determines what type of pokemon if that's the correct terminology i hope uh are occupying the area um and people have kind of jumped fences into places they don't belong and stumbled upon dead bodies and Mm -hmm. <laughs> other numerous fails of you know trespassing and getting themselves into trouble yeah i i've i've been amazed when i walk around and i see like i you know especially once i notice where my kids are headed and you start to notice that there's tons of people doing like just often my son would like point out oh there's a gym right there um, inside the game, there's this concept of gyms where you go and met, you know, compete against other players. And like, um, there'll be a crowd of people there and they're all, they're all playing the game. Not one of them is interacting really with the other. They're just <laughs> sitting there playing their game all in like in the, one of the cases, it was like out in the middle of a park. Um, and there's just a crowd of people all sitting there playing on their phones. Yeah. And then there's some like really positive aspects of it. There's, uh, you know, people getting out and getting exercise, which is, uh, I heard good for you. I, I don't do it myself, but I heard it's a good thing. Uh, right. and then, uh, you know, there's businesses that are using this and, uh, we've got a really small town. I live in a real small place. Um, we're kind of out in the sticks a little bit, but we have like one little coffee shop in downtown and that coffee shop, uh, throws out lures, which, um, I guess, bring in the Pokemon, which yep. also bring in customers. So people are yeah. using this to their advantage to. Yeah. Know. So the, that's one of the things the article talks about is like, can you, first of all, can you use some of this for your business? Right. 
Um, and then, and I've seen a number of businesses like restaurants and stuff like that who are using, like there was a one we were passing by the other day where that had a sign that says like, you know, that they post, they put lures daily, right? Like, so I guess somebody there buys, you know, spends money within the game to buy lures and then just puts them up to, to lure Pokemon to that area to bring in customers, which I think is crazy. But then the second thing the article talks about is like, you know, this concept of, of AR, um, augmented reality. Do you, is it something that can actually be used in business applications as opposed to just games? Yeah, I've been talking about augmented reality. I don't actually do, as a little disclaimer, I don't actually do any augmented reality you know, apps or programming or anything, but I just read a lot about it, and it's, it's, I find it very interesting, so I talk about it quite a bit. And I've, I've been saying for a while now that like this is going to take off in some big way pretty soon, and it's just the matter of like the right app hitting before everybody knows what this thing is and what it means and it's part of our daily lives and we're going to have to deal with it and like we said you know people are getting themselves into trouble but there's also these major benefits to it so there's that trade-off but you know is this the next big thing like are we going to see more of this is you know what do you think you know um i guess the consensus of the group was that to some degree, there, there, you know, some of them have already started working on some things like this. I don't know if Pokemon Go really is going to be the reason behind any of that from a business standpoint. Um, I, I think it has limited uses. Um, there are, and you know, there are times where it makes sense, but I'm not sure. Maybe I'm not creative enough, but I can't see it being. It's a very kind of niche thing to me yeah see where i'm on the other camp i see like limitless possibilities for this stuff um i think when people generally think about it and uh usually when i talk about it's in the context of uh seeing with the aid of a computer uh, you know augmenting something through your camera but when you think about it there's a lot more going on like we said with the lures um, that's not necessarily a visual thing, but it's augmenting your reality in the form of data where, you know, you're placing this virtual beacon at your coffee shop mm-hmm. and you're getting new customers and things wandering in. I mean, that's, that's essentially augmented reality as well. Yeah. I guess in, in some respects, yes, that's true. Um, and you know, but I, to me, it's like, Something like a Pokemon Go, I think the fad will pass and people will move on to something else. And it may not be uh, map related or augmented reality related. It'll be something else, you know? So Yeah. You know. yeah I see a lot of potential in things like um, getting uh, navigation, you know, on, on the sidewalk in front of you through either glasses or or your phone camera or something like a HoloLens in the future. Um, and then if they decide to start putting this stuff into vehicles, you know, you can do the same thing with uh, your windshield. Mm. You have, you know, the your path that you need to follow to your destination being drawn on the road in front of you. And you could just keep expanding from there at all the what ifs. And yeah, I, I mean, go on all day about it. 
which sure. is why I have a session coming up this uh, Friday at the M3 conference. Um, I'll be talking all about how this stuff came about. This is actually a bunch of uh, different technologies that have been combined. There's uh, big data, um, uh, machine learning, and augmented reality have all kind of combined into this thing. And it all started in the 1950s. So if you're at the M3 conference or you're in the Columbus, Ohio area this Friday, grab a ticket to that and uh, come check out my session at the end of the day there. I see what you did there. Yeah, shameless plug. This well was done. all a lead into a plug for your <laughs> session. Oh, man. <laughs> Fun right. fact, though, uh, the Pokemon Go thing had not happened when I created this talk, so I'm going to have to go in and update it and uh, kind of include that. Uh, yeah. That's a big thing. It's kind of like the, the virtual augmented elephant in the room that I'm going to have to talk about now. Definitely. You can't, you can't avoid it. Yeah, just like we couldn't avoid putting it on TDN, just like we couldn't <laughs> avoid talking about it on this podcast. At Pokemon any rate, it's taking over the world. It, yeah, I, th I find it fun and interesting. Um, I, I I need to actually like get out there and put my hands on something and create something instead of just talk about it. But uh, it's it's a lot of fun to talk about. So uh, the next one up uh, is an article of my own. So sh shameless plug segue to shameless plug. Um, the next article is uh, Understanding ASP.NET Core Initialization. So I've been doing a lot of work with ASP.NET Core. Uh, I'm working on a book, uh, Shameless Plug Number 3. This is like my podcast uh, to, to, to plug myself, I guess. <laughs> you, you might have to take over in a few minutes, Brian, and just uh, make sure I keep this on track. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, they've made a lot of big changes in ASP.NET Core, and one of the biggest changes is removing a dependency on IIS, or Internet Information Services. And in order to do that, they've made a lot of changes in the initialization of the application itself, because uh, back in previous versions, they would use uh, IIS to kind of bootstrap the application. And if you don't have IIS, then you therefore don't have a way to bootstrap your application anymore. So what they've done is created um, uh, the new version using a console app. Mm -hmm. So your ASP.NET website or application is now a console application. So you're actually like running that executable off the command line. And uh, there's ways to compile that out into different executables for different platforms and it can run on Mac, Linux, Linux, OSX or OS 10 and Docker. Uh, so some interesting stuff there and I kind of explain how the initialization process works and what uh, each process kicks off and invokes the application and where your developer endpoints are in that process. Yeah, it's interesting stuff, especially you know, I think it's amazing, first of all, how much .NET has changed and that it now supports all these additional platforms, which I think is, is fantastic if you're a .NET developer. But, but second of all, just how much that's forced a rethink of how the whole system is structured, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's a big change to get your head around. Some of the core concepts are still the same. 
Uh, it's still a model view controller based architecture. But other than that, they've completely overhauled the entire system. So it's a lot to wrap your head around, but it's moving in the right direction, I believe. So yeah. it's uh, something what's... I've tried to educate myself on and, and teach other people. And having being somebody who goes to these events, do you find that the majority of people are are excited about this or concerned about this or some combination of both? Yeah, so I'm finding people are excited about it, but not quite sure how it fits into their uh, work scenarios. So, you know, you've got people excited. They're like, hey, I can, you know, use my Mac to develop these things now. I can host it on Linux, but we only use Windows servers at work. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, there's only so much you have control over, but I'm sure eventually, I mean, it's going to take time. This isn't something they built to... Um, create an overnight change mm. uh, and I think it's something that they're laying the foundation for the next say five ten years of uh, .NET development and uh, people are going to slowly adopt their the uh, the combination of elements that works the best for them you know whether that's developing on a PC and using Windows to host or you know working on a Linux box and hosting on Linux or mixing those technologies together and or maybe using a, a Mac to do all the you know coding and host it on a Linux box so your options are are out there now right that's great and I think from Microsoft's point of view they're like we don't care as long as you run it in Azure because <laughs> <laughs> they can run Docker and Linux and Windows hosting environments in Azure so you're free to Host it however you want as long as it's there. Uh, you can host on-premises too, but, you know, I think they're they're hoping, you know, uh, that you'll host it on Azure. I think that's where the, the money is at anyway. Uh, but that's that's my opinion. Uh, I thought the new Microsoft doesn't care about Microsoft. Money. Oh, of course not. <laughs> what, it's just for the good of the community. Does. Yeah, that's, uh, this is a... Philanthropic. Uh, move. Yeah. Uh, uh, so next up, we have the always uh, insightful Cody Lindley uh, talking about JavaScript. And he has an article, what uh, do the popular JavaScript tools depend on? Right. So he takes a look at, um, you know, tools and frameworks like jQuery, Angular 1, Angular 2, React, um, Ember, Aurelia, so on, right? And he looks at like what the dependencies are of the of these. Some of them have a significant number of dependencies, like either uh, either actual actual physical dependencies of the project or things that, while not technically required, you you are more than likely going to have to use anyway. Um, so some of those, like jQuery, have nothing. Um, or even Angular 1, right? Even if, um, but like, you know, other things like Angular 2 and like React have a number of dependencies built within them. So React being one of those cases where it has no no required dependencies, but there are a ton of things you're gonna, probably going to have to use if you're going to if you're going to use it. So it's almost like this implied dependency. Yeah, like. Um... You know, React, for example, is mostly dealing with your view. 
Right. And you're going to have to build some kind of infrastructure around the rest of it, or something like Angular 2 is kind of a soup to nuts situation where sure. it has dependencies, but it does a lot more than just um, interact with the view. So uh, you're, you're kind of um, in Angular territory uh, no matter where you're at in your application, uh, but there's some dependencies you're going to have to deal with in regards to that. Right. Uh, and then there's kind of this other camp where there's there's no dependency like jQuery or Vue, um, but there's not a whole lot of support in regards to APIs and framework uh, for a large scale application like jQuery. And Cody makes the point where jQuery is, you know, this nice tool that makes some things easier, but it wasn't necessarily engineered to be the one and only framework that you use in your application to do all of the things that we kind of abuse (laughs) jQuery and make it do. Um, Angular is much more robust and meant to do all these things, but it has some dependencies. Right. So, you know, and he, for instance, he talks about things like, like Angular 1, that technically you have no dependencies because it, it actually includes JQ Lite within it and so on. But then some of the other things that you need to consider if you're going to choose Angular 1 right now, which would be like some of the complications that as the application grows, right? And Angular 2 having a number of actual dependencies like, he talks about zone.js, reflect metadata, rxjs that you're going to have to use within the project and understand as well as other other sorts of dependencies depending on whether you want to use new ES6 um, features or not, right? So, you know, it's just, it's more of like something if depending on what framework you're going to choose, this is not necessarily something to that's going to say, use this or don't use this. It's more like just be aware of these things because you, sh- you, you more than likely, even if not from day one, will eventually need to know, to understand all these dependencies. Yeah, I like the fact that Cody includes jQuery in that list as well. Um, it's kind of like the uh, black sheep lately where nobody wants to talk about it, but everybody's still using it. <laughs> And he, he kind of makes a point to that in the beginning of the article, like, you know, a lot of people are still using jQuery out there, yep. um, even though it's not being talked about and it doesn't seem to be the cool kid anymore. Um, it's still there and, and he includes it in the conversation. Yep. So good stuff. And then uh, we usually have an article or two by uh, the next guy here, Nick Raboy. Uh, joined me on the podcast last week to talk about Couchbase, and uh, he had a lot of things to talk about uh, in regards to using Couchbase with IoT and mobile and uh, web and lots of different technologies, and uh, it kind of uh, shows that you know we're, a lot of us developers are the polyglot developer these days. Uh, we've got our many hats on and we're building apps for all sorts of things. And we don't have the luxury of sticking by one stack anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I don't think you want to. I mean, honestly, having kind of, I think you and I have been around long enough to remember the days when it was okay to just be an expert in one thing. But 
Um, but we've also been around long enough to probably have had to change that thing. I know I have numerous times. I've had to switch. I've even had times in the past where overnight I had to switch, you know, one day I'm representing a particular technology. The next day the company I'm working for said, okay, we're not doing that anymore. So you're now doing this. And, you know. Um, what, what Brian's trying to say is he's secretly re, re, um, secretly waiting for uh, the resurgence of cold fusion. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. Exactly. <laughs> you, you understood. Um, so, you know, but the point is, is like, I think today's developers aren't aren't really in that position. I do find some that are kind of religious about their choice of technology. And I, I always find that that's, you know, it's better just to be more open and learn the different, learn different things because, you know, I've, in my experience, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. You never know when, you know, the next big technology is going to hit either in, Sometimes those shifts can happen pretty quickly uh, where like the web just kind of took over over the course of a few years. And uh, I mean, people still develop desktop and server applications, but the web uh, has really taken off and created a lot of new jobs and work for people. And uh, some of those other technologies have kind of slowed down a bit. Um, you know, not, not, not as many mainframe applications being developed anymore. Yep. Not to say that there aren't there. I'm sure there are some, but I mean, it's these days the web is uh, king and so are mobile apps. And those two things are, are fairly new technologies that kind of sprung up over the last 10 years. Yep, definitely. Things change quick. Diversify. So it's kind of like talking about stocks or something. Diversify <laughs> your skills. Um, and if you want to diversify your skills, you could read the next article, which is by Peter Filipov, uh, which is how to create mobile apps with Sitefinity and Telerik platform. Yeah, this is a, I mean, it's a good walkthrough. So it just basically it's, it shows like how you can turn your Sitefinity um, CMS application, like turn on the API so that you can connect it to a mobile app that you build within the Teller platform. So in this case, that would be a hybrid app um, for those of you who know what the terminology means. But uh, so not yet for a native script app, but that will be coming soon as well. Yeah. So this is some really powerful stuff. And uh, this is a lot of uh, the work that I used to do. And that was, we would have some kind of internal content management system. And then the whole, um, you have to have an app for, uh, whatever, uh, device like that whole, um, uh, what was that ad campaign that Apple had? There's an app for that thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. And uh, all of the C-level people were like, okay, why don't we have an app for, and then, you know, insert <laughs> some system in within the, the uh, corporation. Uh, so that was the boat I was in. Like, wh what is the right choice? Do we do mobile responsive? Do we have a native application? Uh, what's the right way to tackle this thing? And um, this whole using Sitefinity, Progress Sitefinity, and 
uh, Teller platform to produce an application fairly easily. I mean, this you're enabling uh, a back a backend API on Sitefinity, mm-hmm. and then there's a data provider inside of Teller platform to pick the data up and make it very useful. Um, and you could do all this without really writing a line of code, and then you have a fully like supported app out of the box that you can put in a either a private app store or uh, publish to an app store. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah, it is pretty. It's so so basically, they they don't need us anymore. Ed. Yeah, yeah. I I commented to uh, Peter earlier today, and I said, you know, hashtag unemployed. Like <laughs> they don't they don't need us to write code anymore. What are we doing? Yeah, I mean, for what it's worth, things like uh, I know. Like Salesforce has this whole platform that you can develop on, and most of it is drag and drop, point and click kind of thing. So, this this is you know, it's not uncommon nowadays. So, joking aside, though, it gets like you know a decent um, head start on a nice custom application, and then once you have that you know kickstart, whether it's you consider it your prototype or your finished product. I mean, you can continue to add custom code to it mm-hmm. and uh, customize the look and feel and all that stuff as well. So it's not like you're stuck inside of this uh, drag and drop box that you can't get out of. Um, it's like fully open ended and you can do whatever you want with it. Right. Yeah. So it's, that's really cool stuff. Uh, like I said, that's a lot of work that I was doing before uh, very manually with, uh, different types of technologies. It's it's cool to see it all wrapped up in a nice, neat package uh, this way. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we have uh, next up an article by Burke Holland. Um, Who's Burke? Do I know this guy? Yeah, we both know him from somewhere. Um, I think he's <laughs> our boss, but... Not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't want to be our boss either, so it's all good. Yeah, no, no, I, I get no. We we obviously had some changes, so now I'm I'm reporting elsewhere. But that's cool because I'm still part of the team, so it doesn't matter. And a great team it is, and Burke is still part of that team. And yes, yes, I, he's of course, written a very cool article um, that details the similar yet different native script and Xamarin. Yeah, and uh, he he actually this post is excellent. He goes in great detail. I know, I know firsthand somewhat uh, the amount of effort he put into this because he was looking for feedback throughout throughout the whole process. I mean, he goes into a lot of detail about all different aspects from debugging to you know the build process and so on, um, explaining similarities and differences and why you might choose one over the other. Etc. Um, you know, and I think it's it's really important information to have out there because I know that when we've gone to a number of conferences, um, you know, we're we're trying to get this information out there basically that answers some of these questions that people tend to ask when they come up to us and be like, okay, so what's the difference between this and Xamarin or this and Cordova or um, you know or this and React Native, and we've been putting out some of that information now um, and trying to be both even-handed and somewhat, um, I would say, analytical. Like, you know, a lot of what he shows is based on 
on simple presenting of, of data and other kinds of facts as opposed to this is not like him saying, oh, this is why we're better. Yeah, and there's a lot of stuff that he details about, uh, you know, reusing your particular skill set. Um, for example, NativeScript uses a lot of web concepts like CSS and JavaScript. So mm -hmm. uh, if you're a web developer or you have a web application that you want to write a companion app for, you can share code between both of those applications using something like Angular 2. Right. But if you're a C-sharp developer, I mean, obviously, Xamarin presents a, a, uh, an, an easy path for you without, say, you know, if you're not comfortable in JavaScript. At the same time, it's important to note that we support Xamarin. We have UI for Xamarin components. So it's, you know, um, it, it's not like, um, it's not like we're out there basically trying to, to necessarily take down Xamarin in any way. This is, you know, and I think he does a good job of presenting that in a way that's balanced and, and shows that we, you know, we're, we're more than happy to support both. Um, we believe in NativeScript. We think it's it's a great platform, but you know, but if you choose the Xamarin path, we, you know, especially being that we've always supported .NET developers, we want to be there for that too. Yeah, and we had a lot of other NativeScript related articles this month. Uh, we won't go over those oh, yeah. in detail here on the show. Uh, it would just be a solid hour of NativeScript. <laughs> but uh, we had um, some interesting reads on. Uh, how to create those Angular 2 apps. So there was an article titled Create a Mobile App from Your Angular 2 Web App yep. with NativeScript. And then we also had NativeScript, Angular 2 Introduction, Why NativeScript Matters. Yep. Um, and then there was a, a really interesting one that was uh, somebody that is on our... Uh, Teller, Teller developer. Uh, yeah. Um, the developer uh, experts Expert. program that saw a thread on Reddit and decided he was going to go debunk all of this FUD that was being spread all over this thread in Reddit. I know, it never happens on Reddit. It's amazing. I don't know why yeah. that was happening. Yeah, he's, he's basically trying to not feed the trolls yet uh, defend some really outlandish things that somebody was saying. Um you know, you get a lot of that on Reddit, like you're saying, but this was like just completely off base. Uh, obviously, this person didn't spend any time looking at what NativeScript actually does because they were they were saying it, you know, uses web views and other yep. odd things like that that don't really apply to this. Uh, yeah, so he went through and kind of counterpointed all of the bad, you know, FUD stuff that. Uh, this guy was posting yeah and that that's i think even getting back to burke's article that's partly what i think that that's all about is is not a matter of of sometimes it is fud and sometimes it's just people misunderstanding what native script is um and and so you know it's just amazing how easily that stuff can spread they hear build mobile apps with JavaScript and they immediately think, Oh, this must be like Cordova. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, it's nice to see that, uh, somebody from the community is that 
enthusiastic about one of our products that they're going to go defend it and spend their time, their personal oh, yeah. time, um, kind of writing about how off base the stuff was. Yep. The NaveScript community is pretty, um, as you can see from all those posts, it's pretty, uh, pretty active at this point. And then lastly, we, we have uh, an article that I picked out, and uh, I, think, I think the story surrounding it is better than the actual story itself. And this is uh, a new grid control at your service, um, and this is by Dan Hadari uh, from the Azure team. And I, I just saw this article pop up on Twitter because I follow some of the Azure accounts and uh, the Microsoft uh, Twitter accounts. And mm -hmm. uh, they're talking about this new feature that they added to um, analytics in Visual Studio application insights. So this is uh, part of um, Azure, and it has all sorts of analytics that it collects on your application. And they have this new grid that you can see all of these analytics uh, in, and it has filtering and sorting and grouping and paging and all these you know, awesome features that help you dig into your information and, and see it in granular detail or sort it uh, to where it makes sense for you. And I was reading about this new feature, and when I looked at the screenshot, I said, huh, that, that looks very familiar. This, um, this UI looks a whole lot like Kendo UI. <laughs> so, you know, being the web developer that I am, <laughs> right clicked immediately and did a view source and sure enough I could see it was uh, decorated with Kendo UI uh, CSS classes and uh, the the JavaScript code uh, referenced Kendo UI so uh, Azure team is using our Kendo UI grid uh, the, the uh, Telerik uh, product by Progress uh, Kendo UI is powering the Azure uh, analytics uh, in Visual Studio Application Insights. Yeah, and it's amazing too because when you read the article, it's like it has filtering, sorting, grouping, page display. And it's like, yeah, yeah, that's all default in the Kendo UI grid. You know? <laughs> that's all available in the, in the grid. Yeah, it was, it was cool to see that, um, you know, I stumbled upon this. Like nobody sent it to me and was like, hey, you know, check it out. They're using your stuff. Um, I actually was just reading the article and found it interesting, and then it started to become apparent that this is uh, this is one of the um, the features that I talk about frequently on webcasts and stuff. So uh, it, was, it was neat to stumble upon it that way, and uh, that's cool, it was fun, fun to share. Um, so uh, let's wrap up here. We've been doing a feedback survey on um, the podcast to try to make this show better. Uh, we've gotten some good feedback uh, regarding sound quality and what people like to see on the show, where they listen. Uh, we're going to keep doing this for one more week. So uh, we'll be closing this up around uh, August 12th. And uh, at that time, we'll start picking some winners to give away some product licenses to. Uh, from the folks that have filled out that survey. So if you'd still like to participate, and we'd appreciate it if you do, go to developer.telerik.com slash survey, 
and let us know how we're doing and we'll make the show better uh, with the responses that we get. Um, also, make sure you follow us on iTunes if you like the show. Uh, subscribe. Uh, you can get it on iTunes or SoundCloud. Um, if you're on iTunes, make sure you give us um, some uh, stars. If you uh, like the show, give us some stars. That'll help push us up the charts and get some more listeners like yourself. And uh, feel free to leave us feedback or comments on either SoundCloud or developer.telerik.com. There are comment sections on both, and I, I visit those frequently to uh, respond to anybody that's got some questions or comments to leave. And then we're also on Twitter uh, at ESC Podcast, so you can follow us and catch show updates. Or uh, I'd like to tweet out uh, when people that have either appeared on the show or um, are co-workers of mine appear on other podcasts uh, and um, I like to share those to to make sure listeners can find those as well so uh, if you are enjoying the show subscribe to those things and we appreciate your listening and tuning into us every week yep thanks everybody thanks Brian nice to have you back thanks man. Ed alright thanks good to be back we'll catch you later bye, bye.